0: church. Um, I'm going to introduce you to my dog this morning. Now don't get too excited if you really love dogs. I didn't actually bring my dog. Um, We just have a picture of my dog for you to look at. Now the thing about my dog is that she loves to dig. Now thankfully She doesn't dig too much in the backyard because we have an abundance of these giant skinks that live in our yard. And so she spends all day running around chasing those, which means that our yard is relatively safe and protected from her digging. But if we take her to the beach, um, do we have a photo? I think I've got a photo here of her at the beach. So if we go to the beach, she will get there. She is. Okay. If we go to the beach, she loves to dig in the sand. Like she gets really into it. And often I'll take her for a walk down the beach and then at the end I might sit and just enjoy being at the beach for a while and let her have a bit of a run around and she'll come up to you. And for some reason the digging always has to take place right next to you. And she'll dig and she'll dig and then she kind of lies there and looks at you and then she digs some more. But the thing about her digging is that eventually... She gets to this point where she's actually dug out underneath you and you just end up falling into this hole that she's dug. And so then it's up and move along and then she'll just start digging there. And, you know, I mean, we could go all the way along the beach if I left her there long enough, I think. (laughs) Um, Today when we're exploring our text, um, the reason that I bring up this story and my dog is because this idea of undermining is really central to us understanding the passage that we're going to look at today. Um, and when, when we looked at this passage as a, a sermon team and we were reading it, I was like, I was really offended by it. <laughs> I was not happy, I was not comfortable, it didn't sit well with me. And so I've really had to um, do a lot of wrestling with it this week. And I think that, um, that God actually has something, or John, God through John, has something really important for us to say. So we're going to read through this, and as we read, you may see some things that make you uncomfortable, and you may see some things that make you go, hang on a minute, Um, sit with those things, and we're going to try and unpack those, and hopefully by the end, it's going to make sense for us. So the passage that we're looking at, we're exploring through the, the letter of 1 John. And we're up to chapter three, and I'm going to read a passage from verse four to verse 10. It says, everyone who sins is breaking God's law, for all sin is contrary to the law of God. And you know that Jesus came to take away our sins, and there is no sin in him. So far, so good. Anyone who continues to live in him will not sin. But anyone who keeps on sinning does not know him or understand who he is. Anybody feeling uncomfortable yet? Okay, dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. When people do what is right, it shows that they're righteous, even as Christ is righteous. But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil who has been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of God of the devil anyone comfortable with the passage now yeah okay those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them so they can't keep on sinning because they're children of God so now we can tell who are children of God and who are children of the devil anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God Ouch. (laughs) Um, The word sin keeps popping up in here, and I don't know what version you have, but in in mine I counted at least 10 times that the word sin pops up in here. And sin is one of those words that can have some really um, negative connotations. It's a bit of a dirty word, isn't it? Not just for Christians, it's a bit of a dirty word in general because... If we look at in the world, there is this, um, I guess, new way of, of thinking where I get to define what is right and wrong. And so sin is not something that I want to think about because it wants to tell me what's right and wrong. And then in, in our Christian circles, in our church circles, the word sin also has some, I guess, baggage attached to it where perhaps... Um, you've been in a church where people felt like it was their job to point out your sin, right? Or perhaps um, you've grown up in a church environment where sin was this thing to be avoided, and you spent all your time trying to look like you weren't sinning all the time, knowing that you are a sinner, and feeling like you had to try and earn your way to God. So there's kind of all this baggage attached to the word sin. And then John really just presses on down into it and he says, like in verse 10, so now you can tell who the children of God are and who are the children of the devil. And then if we don't understand these verses and we don't understand where they sit in the entirety of this book, people start taking this verse and being like, ooh, so now I can look around and be like, children of God, children of god not children of god children of god and we start judging and we start boxing people and we start putting them with labels and we start to create a really unhealthy environment for our church so what are we going to do with these verses first thing that we need to do is we need to understand that these verses sit in the context of an entire letter that John is writing to the church. And this is not the first time in the letter that he talks about sin. He opens the letter almost with the idea of sin right in chapter 1. He says, if we claim that we have no sin... We're fooling ourselves and we're not living in the truth. And you're like, but hang on, he just said that those who belong to God don't sin. Hang on, okay. Then he says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us. Um, And he says, I'm not writing this to you so that you, sorry, I am. I'm writing this to you so that you won't sin. But if we do sin, then we have Christ on our side. He has sacrificed to atone for our sins. So... We have to make sure that when we are reading this part about sin, that we're placing it in the context of an entire letter, and this is not the only thing that John has to say about sin. Second thing, if you had asked me, previous to, to me researching and studying this, if you'd asked me what the, the letter of First John was about, my answer would have been Love. I don't know if any of you feel the same way, but when I think of the book of 1 John, the thing that comes to mind is that this is a book about loving well. It's a book about love. And so I'm like, hang on, if I think this is a book about love and how come there's so much of this sin talk all splattered through here, what's going on? And as I looked at it, I think what we've got, is we've got two themes coming through here. We have a huge theme of love going through this book, but we also have this theme of sin going through the book, and the reason that John has put these together is because these two ideas are um, intertwined, and you can't talk about one without the other. If we try and talk about sin without a whole lot of love behind it, then we talk about it the wrong way. And if we want to talk about love, like we have been, we've been doing a whole lot of that in our church lately with our Breaking Bread series and pressing in. If we want to talk about love, then we actually need to talk about sin. The reason that we need to talk about it is because that sin undermines our ability to, To love well. Sin undermines our ability to love well. And what is sin? Sin is when we break a law or a commandment. And the law that John talks about, he talks about it back in chapter two, he says, I'm not giving you a new commandment. This is the old commandment made new to love one another. When Jesus talks to his disciples, he says, these are the commandments that I need you to follow. I want you to love God, and I want you to love others. So the commandment is to love, and sin is anything that breaks that commandment. But I don't know if you're like me. When you think of sin, you probably think of something Paul's written, maybe. Paul was really good about talking about sin, and he would make these big lists, And also once again people taking Paul out of context and quoting Paul Paul has the same kind of idea as John when it comes to sin but I'm just gonna go to um, Romans chapter 1 and I'm just gonna like go through one of one of Paul's lists here we go he says uh, one of his sin lists their lives are full of every kind of wickedness sin greed hate envy murder Quarrelling, deception, malicious behaviour, and gossip. Then there's backstabbing, hating God, insolence, pride, boastfulness. Children, are you listening? Disobeying their parents. Dennis' children, are you listening? Okay. Not refusing to understand, breaking promises, refusing to show mercy, refusing to give justice even though they know that it is required. This is kind of what Paul, he just... Puts down this big list and we look at this list and we're like "Ha!" Ah. but the thing is this list the reason that he talks about these things is because sin undermines our ability to love well if we look at gossip right undermining our ability to love that person well when we look at um, I don't know, (laughs) so many sisters when we look at pride. Okay, I'm gonna talk about pride, because this one pops up in my house all the time. My fault. Um, When John and I have arguments, we occasionally have arguments, um, they often are extended because of my pride, right? Not pride like, I'm so much better than you, but pride in that once I'm in the argument, I don't want to back down. I don't know if anyone else (laughs) argues like that but like I'm there and I'm gonna dig my heels in and right or wrong I'm taking this to the end and it extends arguments beyond anything that they need to be because I want to hang on to my pride undermining love. Now The reason that we need to talk about sin, and we do, as uncomfortable as it makes us, is because it undermines our ability to love well. And it matters because we are saying that we want to be a church that loves well. And we cannot be a church that loves well if we're trying to hold on to sin at the same time. Because as we're building, as we're saying, here's a great way we can show love, and we start to build it, right? The idea is for love to grow and expand and to flourish. And every time we undermine a piece of that, the love that we've just built up here falls away. So as, we, as we're building love, we're also undermining it at equal speed at the back and we have no more love than when we started. Do you get what I'm saying there? Like, we build something and then we knock it down with sin because sin is undermining this love that we are trying to build. And if we want love to grow and expand and flourish in our homes, in our lives, in our church, in our community, then we have got to address the issue of sin. Here is the thing. There's actually no such thing As a healthy sin love balance. Like in our lives, we have these ideas of, you know, the the healthy work and, you know, fun balance. And so it's like, well, we can have a bit of this and we can also have a bit of this. Um, You know, if we're talking about eating and our eating habits, it's like, well, I can do lots of healthy eating and I can have some cheat days and stuff as well. But John is really adamant in this letter that there is no such thing as a healthy sin-love balance. And he talks about it in a few different ways. In chapter 1, he talks about the idea in terms of light and darkness. He's like, you have moved from darkness into light in Christ, You can't keep trying to live in both spaces. There is no healthy, light, dark balance. He talks about it in terms, in chapter 2, he talks about it in terms of loving the world and loving the Father. He's like, there is no healthy love the Father, love the world balance. We're all in on loving the Father. He talks about it then in uh, what Ian was talking about last week with this idea of truth and lies. He's like, there is no healthy truth-lies balance. As soon as you start putting lies into truth, it's no longer truth. And then he talks about it here in this chapter with sin. There is no such thing as a healthy sin-love balance. So what does this look like? Let's pop some science into this. I had to research because I knew kind of in my mind how this went and so I had to Google. It is the second law of thermodynamics. Okay, all oh, science teachers excited, here we go. Second law of thermodynamics, abbreviated and uh, written by me, um, basically says that the natural order of things is that things will move from order into chaos, from order to disorder, unless energy is exerted to keep things in order. Okay, it says that things will move naturally from order into disorder unless an energy is exerted to keep things in order. Now I can attest to this this week i worked four days here at school i um was writing a sermon and my house is testament to this fact that things will move from order to chaos unless there is concerted energy put into keeping things in order you might notice that in your garden that unless you are busy in your garden and you're weeding and you're putting energy in your garden will move from order Into chaos. You may notice it also with your muscles, right? If we don't use them, the natural progression isn't to just naturally bulk up. The natural progression is for your muscles to go mushy, right? And I've I've signed my Bible study girls up to like a push-up challenge thing, because and I made them do it. Well, didn't make them do it. I invited them to do it. (laughs) Because I know that if I don't have somebody doing it alongside of me, I'm just going to be like, I'll do it for three days and then be like, oh, I'm done. <laughs> but the natural order is from order into chaos. It takes very little effort for things to slide. Have you noticed that? It takes very little effort for things to slide and it takes concerted Energy and effort to make things move in the direction that we want them to go the same is true with us and sin now before before we go too far down this I want to be really really clear on this there is a huge difference between partnering with God In dealing with sin in our life and in us striving to deal with sin in our life okay there is a huge difference partnering with God says I rely completely and entirely on the cross to forgive me for my sins to make me clean to give me salvation And striving says, I've got to do this, I've got to do this so that God loves me, I've got to do this so that I can earn salvation, I've got to do this to make myself acceptable. That is not true. So I just want to be really clear that when we're talking about this idea of pushing against sin, it's not because we're trying to make God love us. It's not because we're trying to get there on our own, it's because we want to move into this thing that God calls us to, which is to love well. So what are we going to do? How, how do we address um, sin? Step number one. We need to identify sin in our life. Because it can be really easy to just kind of breeze over and be like, oh, yeah, I nice sin, and not really think about what it is exactly. Um, Jordan will often say, you know, I'll be like, oh, I want to get fit. And he'll be like, well, what do you mean? I just want to be fit. He's like, well, do you want to, like, get stronger muscles? Do you want to be able to run further? Do you want to be able to do 1,000 push-ups? I don't know. But, it, but you need to know exactly what it is that you're trying to do. Otherwise, it's just kind of this very, very, well, I want to be fit. And how do you get there? So when we're looking at this idea of identifying our sin, we need to be specific. Exactly what is it that God needs to work on in my life? because we have this kind of tendency to look at our own lives with these rosy colored glasses. I don't know if maybe it's just me, I'm not that bad, but I, I don't reckon I'm the only person who does it. We have this kind of rosy colored way of looking at our own sins and we can see other people's sins really, really clearly. So if you're not sure what sins you need to work on, maybe ask your wife, she's probably got a list for you. You could work on those ones. Jordan, I've put a list on the table at home, you can work on them. Okay. So we need to be specific. We need to know exactly what it is in our life that God wants us to work on, that we need to work on so that we can stop undermining love in the things that we're doing. Step number two. We need to confess. This is between you and God. You don't need to come talk to me about it. You don't need to talk to Ian about it. This is between you and God. But once again, this idea of confession Needs to be specific. Because I don't know about you, but I've been guilty in the past of where you just, it's just a general prayer. And please forgive me for all my sins without ever really thinking about what your sins are. But when we don't really think about what they are, then we can't really be sorry for them. Does that make sense? Okay, we can't really be sorry for them. They don't hit us in our heart, they don't make us go, wow. This thing actually is the thing that Christ came to die for. So we actually need to be specific when we're talking about this. Okay, number three is we need to turn away from sin. Because I don't know about you, but oftentimes I know that I shouldn't do something, and I'm still like, yeah, but I want to do it. And you just go ahead and do it anyway. Maybe I'm alone, but I feel like maybe I'm not, okay? We just, it's a decision, okay? Because the thing is, sin is in us. It's our human nature. Sin is around us. The world will offer us plenty of opportunities and plenty of places that we can do that. But sin does not rule us. Jesus does. Jesus does. He has defeated sin and he lives in us. And we get to partner with him and we get to use his strength to be able to turn away from sin. I read a quote once um, and it really, really stuck with me. And it said, You can't cast out sin. You know, it's not like a demon to cast out. You can't cast out sin. You can only crucify it. You can only lay it down every day at the foot of the cross and walk with Jesus. Step number four is to live in community. Now, John talks about this a lot in this letter. The word he uses in here is fellowship. Fellowship with the Father, fellowship with one another. Community. Living community. We live in community with God. We partner with him. His Holy Spirit lives in us to help us in this. And we live in community with one another. Because here's the thing. If we create a community like verse 10 where we're pointing around and being like, oh, these are the children of God. These are not the children of God. We actually destroy this sense of community. And we destroy this tool that God has given us to be able to fight against sin. Because I don't know about you, but I find it easier to maybe stay on the straight and narrow when you've got someone to be accountable to, when you've got someone who's encouraging you and helping you, someone that you can turn to when things are kind of falling apart a little bit. We have community for a reason. So, the idea of sin, the idea of us putting aside sin is so that we can make sure that we don't undermine love, so that we can move into becoming the kind of community that God wants us to be, so that we can grow and expand his kingdom. And so our job, our job, our calling, is to push back on sin in partnership with God, to move into love so that we can live like Jesus. Would you bow your heads? Jesus, thank you that you are the one who has come, that you are the one who has taken our sins away, that you are the one who has defeated them, and that we get to partner with you, that you live in us and that you help us in all of our weakness, in all of our failings, in all of our fallings back into sin. We thank you for the cross that covers all of that. And we ask that you walk with us, that we can be a church that grows in love and flourishes and expands your kingdom because we're pushing aside sin and we're saying no to sin and we're striving to be more like you and to be more Christ-like every day so that we can love well. Amen.